The following audio was recorded at Stone Oak Bible Church. For more information about our church or for more resources, visit us at stoneoakbible.com. Um, here in a minute, I want us to... Um, pray together, but I, I got to say, I'm, I'm excited for this morning, really excited for this morning, and if you have your Bibles, you can grab them. We're going to be in, in, in Psalm 12, uh, but listen, before we get into our text, a few weeks ago, we prayed specifically for a church. I don't know if you remember if you were here, but a few weeks ago, we prayed specifically for a church um, across our community in New Braunfels area uh, named King's Community Church. We prayed for them. They were in a hard time. They had nowhere to meet. They were homeless. And uh, we came together. We prayed for them. I got a shared, God answered prayer. They found a home. So can we give God praise for what he has done? He opened a door and this church is now meeting. And so we are grateful that God, he cares for his church. So we are grateful. Had to share that. If we prayed for him, I got to share answered prayer. So, um, this morning, I, uh, again, we're going to be in Psalms, and we have a rhythm here at Stone Oak, and um, each summer, what we do is we pause. Uh, we take a pause for whatever book we're looking at. Uh, in our case this year, it's Romans. Took a pause, and, and in the summer, we spend a several weeks in the Psalms. I love this rhythm. Um, we get to continue today in Psalm 12, and, and listen, as we settle in, um, I wanted us to start with a question, and... Uh, by the way, I don't think you're going to be able to answer this like right away, like boom. Uh, I think this might take a little bit of time to chew on. Uh, but I want us to start with a question. And uh, here's, here's, here's the question. What do you do when you find yourself in direct conflict with the world around you? Uh, what do you do? What will you do? What do you do when, when you look around and you realize that you're out of step? What do you do? Um, let me be clear with this question too, because I, I want to just make sure we're on the same page. I'm not just talking about your belief in God and your belief in Jesus, although that is definitely included. Uh, but I think we're kind of used to the fact that we, we look around and we know that the, not all the world loves and follows Jesus. I think we're used to that. Um, it, but I, I think there, there might be a belief lingering that if we're nice people, for good people, we're good neighbors, we're good friends, we're good coworkers, we're good citizens, that they're going to like us, that we'll be going the same direction, one big happy family. Uh, unfortunately, though, I, I don't believe, and we're going to push into this a little bit, I don't believe that that is still the case. And for a lot of reasons, but a couple being one is that our culture is moving fast. I mean, fast. We're, we're moving ahead and it's, it's hard to even keep up. And as a Christian, we should be broken for a lot of the things that we see going, going on around us. And I don't say this in some prudish way. Um, when I say this, I mean that we as Christians look around and we see God's design, his creation being kind of turned upside down that should break our hearts. So that's the first thing. But the, the second thing is this. We're not in a culture anymore that has a middle ground. Um, we're not in, in, in a culture that has a middle ground. It, it, it's like today, you either say yes to everything or get out. And as Christians, we say we can't, 
does that mean, where do we find ourselves? There's no, when the middle way is gone, what do we do? What should we do? Let me ask the question again. What do we do when we find ourselves in direct conflict with the world um, around us? I believe that church, we face a moment of decision. I believe that we, we, we face a moment of decision when we look around and we feel like, am I alone? Am I, am I what do we do when, when, um, when following Jesus costs us something tangible? What do we do when the community has decided to move on with or without you? Like, what, what, do we, what do we do? So this morning, we're going to push into this a little bit, but, but I got to give you, since I don't think we can just answer this question, many of us just like right off the cuff, so I want to give us time to chew on this, but I think there's three options. And we're going to get into these more, but the three options that I see is, do you abandon Jesus in order to stay in step with the culture? Do you try to adjust Jesus in order to get him to be more in step with the culture? Or do you abide in Jesus, counting the cost of what that means in your culture? I believe those are the three, the three options ahead of us. What do we do? This is the moment, by the way, that I believe David was in as he wrote, as he prayed, as he put this psalm on paper in Psalm 12. This, uh, this, this text in many ways just leaps off the page for us and, and right into modern America 2021. It just kind of leaps off. So with that as a backdrop, let me just read this psalm in its entirety, and then we'll, we'll, walk, we'll walk through it together. It says, Save, O Lord, for the godly one is gone. For the faithful have vanished among the children of men. Everyone utters lies to his neighbor with flattering lips and a double heart they speak. May the Lord cut off all flattering lips, the tongue that makes great boasts. Those who say, with our tongue we will prevail with our lips, or our lips are with us. Who is master over us? Because the poor are plundered, because the needy groan, I will now arise, says the Lord. I will place him in the safety for which he longs. The words of the Lord are pure words. Like silver refined in a furnace on the ground, purified seven times. You, O Lord, will keep them. You will guard us from this generation forever. On every side, the wicked prowl as vileness is exalted among the children of man. What a psalm. David looks around at his world, his community, and he says, save, O Lord, for the godly one's gone. Like the faithful have vanished among the children of men. See, David here, it's like he's both sad and angry. I used to not be alone, but now, where did everyone go? They, they vanished. The godly are gone. Um, this psalm is believed to have been written at the end of David's reign, the end of his life. Looking back, looking out on his kingdom, the, he looks at it, he says, we're supposed to be the people of God. 
We're supposed to follow after him. We are supposed to be the light of the world. And David looks around and he sees brokenness and you in sin and you sense the loneliness in these words. Where did they go? Where have they gone? They're all lying. They're all wicked. And, and I mean, look at verses three and four. With our tongue, they say that we will prevail. Our lips are with us. Who is master over us? In other words, David looks around and he says, they think they can talk themselves into anything. They, they, they can explain it all, justify it all. They're so smart. They think. They, 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 they're so, they can go, they're so progressive that they can go against God and his design. And, and they brag as they're doing it, as saying, who is the master over us? Certainly it's not some ancient God. And certainly the ideas of an ancient book, that's not going to cut it either. Who is the master over? We are the master over ourselves. We make the rules, we change the rules. David, as he steps back, he, he, he sees the arrogance of the community around him and he cries out for salvation for the faithful in verse one and to silence the lips of the arrogant. Now, um, I want us just for a moment to consider something together. As we think about our community in 2021, as we look at our, the community around us, um, listen, I've used this before. I've talked through this before, but I, I didn't go far enough. And, and as we engage with this psalm and as we think about being a follower of Jesus in America to 2021, I think it's helpful for us to consider this together. Um, we have gone through some major shifts as a, as a culture. And uh, let me just say this too before I show you this on the screen. Um, um, Christianity, just up front, has, has never been perfectly at home in America. So I don't want you to hear me wrong when, when I say this. Like, we've never been, like, the perfect, godly, you know, King Jesus is our king um, nation. Uh, we, and I say that in complete confidence because um, no culture, no nation, no people is perfect. We are sinners. So, you know what communities and cities and neighborhoods are? They're a collection of broken people. So, so no community is, you know, perfectly in step until Jesus returns and reigns and sets up his, sets up his new kingdom. That's the first thing. But um, I want to be careful, too, because I, I, I don't want us to think like America used to be, you know, Old Testament Israel part two, like founded <laughs> on King Jesus and on the Torah. And we are the new Jerusalem is here. Um, now, hear me. We were, we were founded on religious freedom. And for that, I am so grateful. So grateful. But, but no matter what time you live in, no matter what time you look back in history, you're going to see broken people. You're going to see broken people because Christianity, the way of Jesus, has never fully been at home in our culture. Now, having said that, though, looking back, there have been some major shifts that have taken place in our culture 
that we need to be aware of as we look at this psalm. Here's what I mean. So let's start with stage number one here. Um, This is when as a culture, as a nation at large, go ahead and put that up here. Um, Our culture used to say yes or okay to our Jesus, who we believe God to be, our theology, and at the same time, Yes to our morals. Like our good old Judeo-Christian morals. Used to say, yes. Now, was everyone a a practicing follower of Jesus? No. Uh, Did everyone practice these morals perfectly? No. But as a whole, Christianity was the major voice. It was the major voice on the block. It was, uh, it, it was expected and, and beneficial for you to say, I'm a Christian. Like, there, there once was a day. Now, um, there was a shift that took place. And I don't have a date for you, but I think we feel it. There's a shift that took place here and, and that I think we need to understand. So stage two is that, you know, this whole Jesus thing, as a whole, we can't buy that. Like who you believe Jesus to be, um, your theology, your singular idea of who God is, eh, no. Like it, as culture kind of turned more secular, humanistic, this exclusive monotheistic worldview is not cutting it. So there was a general no to that, no, no, no thank you. But at the same time, you know your values? You're still good neighbors. You make great workers, citizens, friends. We like you. We trust you. So there was this, there was this um, yes to Jesus, but, but, or no to Jesus, but, but okay to your morals. As long as you don't try to convert people, like don't be radical about getting people to believe that like, but if you just want to be good people and have those good Judeo-Christian values, rock on. Like, get on with it. We we're good. Um, we are good as long as your Christianity is nominal. We're good. Like, we're good. Um, in this stage, by the way, it's still kind of beneficial to be a Christian. It gets you street cred because you're a good citizen. It's still good for you. Now, if you think that we're still here, you're wrong. Um, we're no longer still here. Um, there's another shift that came. We're now, now it's no to your Jesus and your theology, and at the same time and with more veracity, no to those morals that you're imposing on Everyone. So no to Jesus and no to Christian ethics. In this shift, church, it's no longer beneficial for you to be associated with Jesus. Not, no longer. To hold to Christian beliefs, Christian ethics, Christian morality, it is outdated. It is, it is outdated. It is a part of a system that is outdated that needs to go away. And in the shift, I'm just going to say it again, it's costly. It's costly to be a Christian. Now, still, we're going to talk about here this in a little bit. Still many people flood into churches on the weekend, sure. 
Um, but to be a devout Christian, believing in Jesus, standing on this, like submitting to this, um, is now offensive and it is costly. Um, and if you think about the previous stage, it was, it was no to your beliefs, but yes to your practice. Well, here, it's no to your beliefs and no to your practice. No. Um, I have left it here in the past as I've thought through these shifts. I've left it here. And I, and I think there's one more shift that has happened. And it's subtle. And uh, as a majority of us, I think this is where we find ourselves. In, in this stage, the culture looks at Christianity and says, go ahead and show up. Okay to your Jesus. When he says okay to our morals. You see the shift. We want Jesus now to submit to us. To submit to us. It's, 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 um, uh, how do I say this? Our culture says yes to Jesus or whatever we believe. As long as whatever we believe says yes to whatever they believe. It's been a full-blown cultural takeover in, in this sense. To go from okay to Jesus and to his ways, no to Jesus, but okay to his ways, no to Jesus and his ways, yes to Jesus when he gets in line with our ways. What a swing. What a, what a, what a swing. And, and, and ultimately, this goes back to the garden. I mean, we want to be Lord. We want to be in control. And we've seen this swing. And we want Jesus to validate us. And, and I believe that this is what faces you and I today. This is where we find ourselves today. And the question is simple. What do we do? What will we do? And I want to go back to these three answers that I gave you. Will we abandon Abandon Christ. Will we abandon him in order that we might keep in step with the culture around us? Will we abandon him? Will we choose culture over scripture? Will we abandon faith in order to remain part of the culture? Or will we do what I said this stage is all about, which is will we adjust Will we try to adjust Christ in order to keep him in step with our culture? See, they're fine with me as long as I affirm them. And so what I'm going to try to do is modify Jesus a little bit, shave off some of those rough edges so that he fits. And I can have my cake and I can eat it too. Will we try to walk away from thousands of years? of teaching on scripture. We walk away or try to walk away or try to modify it. Or lastly, church, will we abide in Christ? And will we count that cost? Will we count the cost of of us being out of step with our culture? Church, I long to be the church that abides, that counts the cost, that, that, that counts the cost. And with this in mind, I want us to look back at our psalm. I want us to look back on what it means to abide this morning in a culture that objects. Um, David, in our psalm, cries out for God to save the faithful. 
in the presence of the faithless. He cries out to God uh, to silence the faithless is what he's doing here. In verse 5, he says, because the poor are plundered, the needy groan. The Lord says, I will now arise and I will place him into safety. In other words, God's heart is broken for the poor, the needy. God says, I will arise. I love this. He places the broken and the the powerless and the shelter they need. Um, This is why we can sing songs like all the poor and all the powerless. Because this is the heart of our God. And he says, I will arise. And then listen to verse 6. The words of the Lord are pure. Like silver refined in a furnace on the ground, purified seven times. So here's the question. What does it mean to abide in Jesus in a world around us that objects? What does it look like? What does it mean to do this? The first thing, as simple as it sounds, abiding means that we trust scripture and we place ourselves under its authority. And you hear this and you think, pastor, you have to tell us that. You're a pastor. Let me unpack this. Let me unpack this. See, see, in a world that is changing rapidly, what was once up is now down. What was left is now right. When things are just shifting like crazy, things are, are changing so fast. We're struggling to keep up with all that is changing. Everything feels unsettled. Everything feels fleeting. It feels like we're trying to build things on quicksand as a community all the time. It's exhausting. And In the midst of that, I just want to encourage your soul. The words of the Lord are pure. Like silver refined. And a furnace on the ground purified seven times. See, you, church, can trust this. In a world that is shifting, unsettled, moving around. This church is true forever. This church is pure. It's trustworthy. It has gone through the fire of purification, meaning it stood the test. It can stand the fire. It has been tested. Church, you can trust this. Abiding means that we trust scripture. And, and, and listen, by the way, I was thinking about this today, or uh, this week. Um, as you think about some of the new trends of our day, I was struck with the realization that in so many ways, I have socks that are older than some of the new trends that we're dealing with today. <laughs> Maybe I need to get new socks, but regardless, regardless, we look around and things are moving and changing and praise God that in his Goodness and grace, he gave us this that's unchanging. Stable. Consistent. He gave us this. We are people of this. We trust this. The word of the Lord is pure. It's been refined on the ground seven times, meaning completely. So in a world that changes so fast, we stand to this. It means we trust scripture, but, but, but that's not all. Because the second part, and we place ourselves under its authority. So in a world, and I, I want you to think about this, in a world that tells you one thing, when your, your heart tells you one thing, when your friend tells you one thing, if a pastor tells you one thing, and you look and this tells you another, 
Who do you trust? Who will you trust? Do you obey them or do you obey this or do you obey your heart? Don't obey your heart, by the way. It gets you in trouble. Who do you trust? Who do you obey? Church, this is where we place ourselves, under this, under this authority. So abiding means that we place ourselves under the authority of God's word. And that is really refreshing because in a world that is fatigued, do you know how hard it is to build on quicksand all the time? In a world that is tired, We stand on this. So abiding means we trust scripture. We place ourselves under its authority. Um, The second thing is this, and this is big. Abiding means that we trust Christ over fear. So the answer to the world objecting us, uh, to us, is is not, you know, run into the woods, retreat. Um, let it all burn, right? It's not running into the world and saying, here I am, I'm with you. It's not that. And hear me, it's not fear. It's not fetal position fear that, that I see rampant in our culture among Christians. Um, the, he says, you, O Lord, will keep them. You will guard us from this generation. And can we just say that word? Forever. <laughs> You will guard us from this generation forever. Forever. I think it's normal to look around at our generation and say, it's never been this bad. They're the worst. It's all going to, it's just burning. It's all going down. I think that's normal. It's natural because we're the closest to the problems of our day. We're separated by years for the problems of yesterday. But hear me, Jesus said very clearly, in this world, you will face trouble. You will face trials. This is John 16, 33. And you know what? Through it all, through every trial, through every world power, every king who has ever been in charge, every kingdom, um, through the wars, the famines, through every pandemic, through it all, the church will stand. The people of God will stand. And we can stand on the fact that Jesus says the gates of hell will not prevail on the church. We will be kept, guarded forever. We take heart in the face of tribulation. Why? Because Jesus is overcome. There's a lot to fear today. A lot of excuses to fear. What if this happens? What if that happens? Um, What if... COVID-19 just shuts us all down forever. Um, what, if, uh, what if the church never recovers? Whatever we face, whatever you face, fear is not yours to take on. Um, I, was, I wrestled with this, by the way, a little bit recently. Um, I saw a report that in 2020, there was 1,000 roughly more churches that were closed than were planted in 2020. So what does that mean? Well, as a pastor whose like, mission is to raise up and plant other churches, that stinks. Uh, as a church who plants other churches, this is not my favorite report to read at all. Um, this means that the culture around us is getting... L- you know, more and more godless, and at the same time, fewer gospel churches are being planted to engage them with the gospel. This was not a good report. 
was not a good day for me. And having read this, what do I do? I mean, fear, anxiety, is it all burning? It's all going down. No, let this psalm again be the healing balm to our hearts. The Lord will keep you, will guard us from this generation forever. Take a breath. So do we grieve the brokenness and lostness in our community? Yes. Do we get frustrated at times, like David, when we look around and say, where did all the faithful go? Yes. Do we speak up at times? Yes. Do we pray and intercede for them? Yes, always. But church, do we fear? Are we afraid? No. Psalm 121 says, I will lift my eyes to the hills. Where does my help come from? My help comes from the Lord, the maker of heaven and earth. In other words, we can't go higher up the food chain. We can't go higher up the org chart. My help comes directly from the top. He says, the Lord will keep you from all evil, keep your life. He will guard your coming out, your going in from this time forth and forevermore. God himself will keep us, guard us. And because that is true, who do we have to fear? I think about it like this. When we, when we know the end of this movie, we know it. Then all these plot twists, the ups and downs, they shouldn't shake us. They shouldn't shake us to our core when we know where this thing ends. We hold the hope. So abiding in Christ in a culture who objects means trusting Christ over fear. And I pray, I pray that the Holy Spirit would reveal in us those areas of our heart where we are given to fear. It's not easy to admit when fear has gripped our hearts. And I've seen a lot of times when Christians deal with fear, they think they need to run off and deal with it in silence and solitude get their act together, and then come back into church? No. I pray that the Lord would convict us of where fear has gripped our hearts and that we together would lay it down, together in Christian community. Um, One more thing to this too. Uh, If fear causes us to want to run for the hills, get into the woods, fire's coming, And it causes us to want to run and board ourselves up. If that is what fear is called, the people of God, listen, do not run for the hills in times of trouble. We're the ones running in. We are the ones running in to help the hurting. If it is burning, we should be running in to share the gospel, not in fear. He will guard you. He will keep you forever. So abiding means that we trust in scripture and we place ourselves under its authority. Abiding means that we trust Christ over fear. And uh, lastly, abiding in a culture that objects means that we promote Christ over culture. Again, this is probably one that you think, well, pastor, you have to say this, you're a pastor. But you gotta follow with me here. So in verse eight, He says, on every side, the wicked prowl. And then he says, as vileness is exalted 
among the children of man. This word exalted, it's a bit of a churchy word. A churchy word. I would assume you don't use it much uh, outside of church and worship songs. Exalted in this case is most easily translated here is to be lifted up above the rest or promoted. So, so to exalt something is to promote it, to evangelize it. That's to exalt something, to promote it. So here in a culture, as David sees it, this culture, what is it promoting, evangelizing, exalting? Vileness. Vileness is something that is gross, disgusting, moral, morally abhorrent. So here David looks at his culture and he says, my culture is promoting vileness. What is morally abhorrent? As a follower of Jesus, we cannot do that. We cannot promote sin, promote what is against God's character. We cannot, even if it's done in the name of love, like promote, celebrate the sin that Jesus came to give his life to conquer. We cannot do that. Now, are we perfect and sinless? No, 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 no. But can we rejoice and promote sin? No. No, no. Romans 6, if you remember... I have Romans on my mind. Um, What should we say then? Are we going to continue in sin that grace may abound? By no means. How can you live in it if you died to it? We cannot promote what the world is promoting. So what does it mean to abide in Jesus? It means that we promote Jesus. We promote repentance. We promote the gospel as we bring all this together in a world that is celebrating what is vile. In a world that is celebrating sin, calling what is sin good and calling what is good evil. In that world, in a world that this is outdated and out of place, how are we to live our Christian lives? Well, we can't abandon. We know where that road leads. It leads to destruction and bondage. We know where that road ends. We know also that we can't adjust it. We can't adjust Jesus, give him a facelift so he'll fit better. Um, He doesn't need to be updated to be more compatible. He doesn't need us to make him cooler. When we try to update Jesus, in fact, what we're left with is not Jesus. And it doesn't stand long. So, so what do we do? Well, this, what we do is we abide in him, which means that we hold to this, we cling to this, we submit to this. It means we do not give in to fear. It means that we don't promote what they are promoting. We don't sell what they are selling. It means that you and I are not going to look like the world around us. Um, that our church will look less and less like the culture around us. Not because we're weirdos. I don't want to be different because we're weird. Okay? Or mean. But are we ready for that? And I ask this seriously. Like, are we ready for that? I think a lot of us are like, yeah, preach it. But do we really understand what this means? Are you willing to be a part of a church 
any church, but let's talk specifically about Stone Oak Bible Church. Are you willing to come here to be a part of this community when it scores you no advantage out there? Let me push it. When walking in is a disadvantage to you, would you opt to stay home? When it's costly to be associated with Jesus and his church because we can't promote what they promote. What will we do? Are you ready for that? And I pray that we are. And I think if we're honest, we're ready and a little nervous. And today we lay down that fear together. Like David, we cling to God. We cling to his word that's pure. We trust him. Regardless of what the world looks like, we abide in him. Because we're kept, we're held forever. Church, would you pray with me? God, we thank you for this psalm. I thank you for the reminder that you have been and will be present with your people regardless of what we face. As we look at our community and in our hearts break for some certain things, um, I pray that in the midst of this that you will reveal fear. Help us to trust you. I pray for all my brothers and sisters that you would help us to count the cost. If we follow you just because it's easy and what we get out of it, would you just convict us to our core right now? Your invitation to us this morning is much sweeter than that. In you there is rest. In you there is stability. In you there is an anchor to our heart and our soul. Lord, as, as culture moves and stages come and go, you remain. And Lord, I just pray that in this moment that you would strengthen our hearts as we cling to you. God, for anyone here, anyone listening to this, I, who does not know you like that, I don't believe that today is an accident. And I pray that you just stir in us through your spirit, reveal the sin in our hearts. And instead of us running, that, uh, running away, that we run to you, that you draw us to you to lay it down. God, we are an open-handed church. And lastly, I wanna pray for us as a, as a group, as a community. I pray for Courage. I pray for faith. And I pray that we would encourage each other in this. God, would you help us to spur each other on to godliness, to encourage each other in the faith, to pick up our brothers and sisters when we stumble, to bear with one another, And I pray that the world around us would know that we are yours because of the love that we have for each other. And I pray that as a 
as a church, as Stone Oak Bible Church, that we abide together in you, counting the cost in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Thank you.